Let's talk about fruit. Fruit is one of the most perfect human foods. Take, for instance, about how a piece of fruit looks, tastes, and smells to us in its natural state. It's absolutely beautiful and enticing and appetizing to us for us to see a video or a picture or even be in person of picking fresh, ripe, beautifully colored fruit off of a tree or a vine. Now compare that to dismembering an animal. There is nothing appetizing to us about the skinning and dismemberment of an animal and blood dripping from their body. Fruits taste absolutely delicious to us and we love to see videos of people picking fresh fruit. We even take children to grow strawberry picking and make it a field trip, but we definitely don't take kids to a trip to the slaughterhouse. Hey guys, welcome to the Ellen Fisher Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about simplifying plant-based nutrition and tips to thrive that I personally have found helpful in my journey. We're going to be breaking this up into two parts because there's a lot of information I want to cover. But today for part one, I want to talk specifically about simply what's natural for us to help make sense and break apart the noise in diet culture. I'm going to talk about my health journey and also tips to thrive. And if you'd like to get even more tips than I share in this episode today, you can get any of my eBooks at ellenfisher.com filled with beginner vegan tips, health tips, and encouragement, all of our family's favorite recipes that are both delicious and nourishing, tips for raising healthy plant-based kids, and more. So who am I addressing in this episode? Those who are looking for answers to fill your best, but you're confused by all the conflicting information. Those of you who are into plant-based eating or want to start eating plant-based and dip your toes in it. And also maybe even some of you who have tried eating vegan or plant-based in the past, but stopped for a variety of reasons, including possibly just missing the mark on feeling your best and hitting those health markers that are so important to thrive because it can be really easy to get confused. So many people go through life just very confused on what to eat or how to live in a way that's going to help them feel their best to not only have great fertility and um, healthy mindset about food that also helps them to eat until they're satisfied while maintaining optimal weight, hormone balance, and having great digestion and good sustained energy while also eating in a way that promotes longevity and preventing disease. So I think it's helpful to look at all of this and this whole topic with a balance of taking the science into consideration and also taking logic into consideration and just meshing both of them together. And I feel like I've learned a lot along the way. So first I want to share with you my personal healing journey. I have been vegan for over actually almost 15 years now and I am so thankful for my health. I'm thankful for having wonderful digestion. I have had four wonderfully healthy vegan pregnancies, vegan pregnancies, and I'm raising four incredibly healthy children and my partner is plant-based as well. But I wasn't always feeling great my whole life. I went from when I was young being being able to eat anything that I wanted and having zero consequences to once I hit puberty, experiencing acne, poor digestion, um, not feeling just my best overall and weight gain as well. And I was just really confused on what to do. I had very little understanding on how to be healthy. The way that my diet consisted of was literally hot Cheetos and Snicker bars from the vending machine that I would share with my friend in between classes. And after school, I would get talk about gorditas and definitely experienced a ton of processed foods within my diet. But I also ate a lot of vegetables. My mom made home cooked meals every day for dinner and breakfast. 
And with that came a lot of meat, cheese, milk, and eggs. So within a couple years of weight gain and experiencing acne that I just could not figure out how to get rid of, I began restricting my calories. And because I really didn't understand nutrition and how to eat for a healthy body, like I said, I thought restricting my calories was the answer to all my problems, that I would lose weight and go back to the weight that I was before where I could just eat whatever I wanted and that hopefully my acne would disappear. And little by little, I started eating less and less calories. I got down to a point where I was eating 10 almonds for dinner. I would like hide out. I was I had a job at the time and in, in on my break, I would hide out in the corner and eat just like 10 almonds. I would have like a yogurt for breakfast and very, very little food. But the problem with that is that I would restrict, restrict, and then binge. I mean, there's so many problems with restricting your calories, which we'll get into. But the binging part was the most interesting thing because because I limited the amount of food I was intaking, I was also taking in less nutrition, less nutrients in my body. So therefore, when you don't eat enough food in general, and then you end up being around these super dense calorically rich foods, you're going to gravitate towards those and binge because your body needs calories. Your body needs food and nutrition. So I would go binge or restricting, restricting, and then binging. And it came to a point after a couple of years, I was around 19 years old where I learned about the raw food diet. And at the time, I really had no idea what a whole foods plant-based diet was or even veganism, but something clicked within me that day where I realized that I needed to eat for a healthy body inside and out and not to eat for an unhealthily skinny body. Because when I was restricting, I had gotten down to 109 pounds or 106 pounds, which is very, very low for me. I'd lost about 25 pounds and I was so sick and unhealthy, definitely not thriving at all. And not even to mention physical changes within my body. My mental state was not well. I was constantly thinking about food and I was just overall just very unhappy. So how I healed after that was I began reading all the health books I could get my hands on. I was working at this grocery store called Mother's Market at the time in California. And every time it was my break, I would just grab all the health books and start reading them and looking into everything I could find about eating fresh fruits and vegetables. And I naturally began eating a lot more fruits and vegetables. I stopped restricting my calories. I actually got a kitchenette to put in my college dorm with one of those Nutribullet blenders. I had a mini fridge and I definitely was the oddball in college that most girls, most people were not doing that in our college. And I did not care. I was just so happy that I was able to start eating again. And I felt so much better in my mental state, number one, but also within my body. I began gaining weight, which was inevitable. I had completely destroyed my metabolism and it definitely took some time to heal. My body gained weight, but eventually leveled out to like my optimal weight. And I just trusted my body. I realized like I had said something clicked within me and I needed to eat for my health. I remember in one day eating like a big bowl of plums and I just suddenly felt this food freedom that I could just eat fresh fruits and vegetables in abundance and focus on my health inside and the outward will respond when you're healthy on the inside. I began to feel energy, good digestion, my acne started clearing up and I got my period back because I had lost my period for a period of time from eating so few calories. On my journey, I learned about the science of whole foods plant-based eating and even further fine-tweaked my diet to be eating nourishing and nutrient-dense plant foods. And while in the beginning I started out eating this way for my health, I eventually was suggested a video called The Best Speech You'll Ever Hear by Gary Yurofsky and that video completely flipped my worldview 
upside down and I became an ethical vegan overnight. And it just so happens that the foods that are healthy for, healthiest for us also are kinder to the animals and are have a lighter footprint on the planet as well. And I just really felt so good. I knew that I was on the right path and it's I've never looked back. So it's been almost 15 years now. I've learned a lot along the way and I'm just so thankful for amazing digestion and good fertility, having a good mental state with my food, with food that I'm eating that I'm not constantly thinking about food, and I can experience optimal weight by eating until I'm totally satisfied. All right, so a few of my favorite plant-based books. I love the book Whole Rethinking the Science of Nutrition by nutritional biochemist T. Colin Campbell. He really makes it clear and easy to understand why so much science is skewed because they're looking at in a reductionist way. They're looking at research in a reductionist way instead of looking at the whole picture. So I love that book. I highly recommend it. And then I also love the book Fiber Fueled by Will Bolsowitz, MD. And he that book is just amazing. He talks a lot about gut health and how the number one most important factor for gut health is diversity of plants. There's also a new book coming out by my friend Simon Hill, and I cannot wait to read it. It's called The Proof is in the Plants. So highly recommend that. If you're in Australia, I'm pretty sure that one is already out in Australia. Australia. There's honestly so many amazing books. These are just a few of my favorites. First, I think it's really important to look at the evidence. A whole foods plant-based diet is the only diet clinically proven to not only stop but reverse heart disease, America's number one killer, which is huge and definitely needs to be taken into consideration when we're talking about our optimal diet. The Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, the world's largest organization of food and nutritional professionals, agrees that a well-planned vegan diet is not only nutritionally adequate, but also may be helpful in the prevention and treatment of diseases. The most reliable evidence we can go off of is well-constructed large observational studies with people all across the world, as well as randomized clinical trials. And vegans and vegetarians have less risk of heart disease and cancers in almost all studies across the board. We know from the scientific body of evidence that saturated fat causes heart disease, so increased meat consumption, taking you out of that plant-predominant diet, increases your risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, and some cancers. And when I say predominant plant-based diet, I'm talking where more than 80% of your calories are coming from plants at least. Meat is nutrient dense, it is, but it comes at a cost of gaining and accessing many calories from those foods in the long run and long term. And I think a great way to look at this topic is to look at the five areas of the blue zones. These are the civilizations that had the longest living civilizations and the most centurions in the world. And they all shared nine characteristics, including but not limited to a predominantly plant-based diet. The majority of blue zones consume only small amounts of meat on rare occasions, and all of them eat a wide and rich array of fresh fruits and vegetables, which are packed with disease-fighting nutrients. The Okinawans, in particular, one of the five blue zone areas, ate only 3% of their calories from animal products. And in fact, in the blue zone study, one of the healthiest subgroups within that study were the vegans in the seventh-day Adventist group in Loma Linda, California. The Okinawans who ate traditionally a predominant plant-based diet were also one of the longest living with only 3% of their calories from animal foods have since changed their traditional diet. And as a result, their longevity and their health has decreased over time. There are some people that want to try to debunk the blue zone study, but okay, can you name me one long living civilization 
culture who ate an ancestral diet, who ate a meat heavy or predominant heavy of animal foods or even just a lot of animal foods in their diet and have a long life expectancy. It is just not out there. All right, we can talk about the science all day long, but I hope that in the future we can have some wonderful conversations with plant-based nutritionists and doctors and experts here on the show. I really plan on having that happen and it's going to be so fun and I can't wait. But for now, I want to move on to how plant-based nutrition does not have to be super complicated. There is so much food freedom when you understand how the body works, what naturally is good for you and what different foods do and how they function in the body and what foods promote health and longevity because there are a hundred different ways to eat a vegan diet and not all or even most of them are healthy. There's going to be slight variations within different people who are thriving. Of course, it's not like going to be 100% bulletproof for every single detail, but overall, not all of them are going to be healthy for sure. So let me just say this up front, just because something says it's vegan doesn't mean it's healthy. Now, that doesn't mean you should never eat that food. I think balance is so important. But if we're talking from a nutritional standpoint and what's going to help us thrive, it's super important to say up front that just because something says it's vegan does not make it healthy. You can definitely eat a very unhealthy vegan diet, just like you can eat a very unhealthy diet that has animal foods in it. All right, so let's break it down and talk about our natural diet and something very simple to understand within different foods. Let's talk about fruit. Fruit is one of the most perfect human foods. Take, for instance, about how a piece of fruit looks, tastes, and smells to us in its natural state. It's absolutely beautiful and enticing and appetizing to us for us to see a video or a picture or even be in person of picking fresh, ripe, beautifully colored fruit off of a tree or a vine. Even brightly colored greens and vegetables in a garden appeal to us by sight, taste, and smell. There is joy in picking brightly colored fruits and vegetables in nutrient-dense soil, and we find the process beautiful with not only fruits but vegetables as well. Now compare that to dismembering an animal. There is nothing appetizing to us about the skinning and dismemberment of an animal and blood dripping from their body. There's a reason that social media influencers who promote eating animal products as healthy are not showing the dismemberment and skinning of animals. I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about like hunter pages, you know, that are completely about hunting. I'm talking specifically um, diet pages that are about what's healthy for you. They're not going to be showing videos of animals being dismembered on their page because we all know nobody wants to see that. There's nothing beautiful to it to us about it in comparison when it comes to showing something like fresh ripe fruit. That should tell us a lot by what naturally looks good to us in its natural state, especially a well-grown ripe fruit tree. The fruits taste absolutely delicious to us. And we love to see videos of people picking fresh fruit. We even take children to go strawberry picking and make it a field trip. But we definitely don't take kids to a trip to the slaughterhouse. That should say a lot. It's very important for us to realize that slaughterhouses do not have glass walls for a reason. We do not want to see it. It's not appetizing to us. It isn't until we douse it with plant foods, spices, herbs, and cook it in oil that animal foods begin to be appetizing to us. So now let's go to another one. Let's talk about dairy. <laughs> dairy is one of the most obvious non-human foods. Dairy is a perfect food for a baby calf. It's wonderful food for a baby cow because just like my human milk and your human milk is made specifically for your baby, Cow's milk is specifically designed for baby calves, just like monkey milk is for baby monkeys, giraffe milk is for baby giraffes, and so on. There's a reason why you don't see other animals 
eating milk from another species, especially after they've weaned off of their mothers. We are the only species that enjoys milk after we've weaned off of our mothers, especially what's interesting is that it's not even from our own species milk. It's from another animal. Each mammal's milk is specifically and nutritionally designed for their young. And I think it's really important to look at how a lot of people will say, well, our ancestors ate milk and that must mean that it's good for us. But it's important to note and to realize that just because we ate something in our past does not mean it's nutritionally adequate or good for us. When we were traveling across the world, uh, making civilizations into different areas and places that we didn't know if there would be food and easy access to foods to sustain us, having cow's milk and um, using animals to domesticate them and to ensure a significant calorie source makes complete sense. And that does not mean that it was made, that's what we should be eating to thrive. It's what they ate to survive. There's a huge difference there, surviving and thriving. And I think that's one of the most important factors to consider. So when you take a step back and you realize our biology and you realize that cows don't make milk just to make milk, they specifically make milk for their young. That brings a whole new understanding and just simple picture of whether we are designed to be eating cow's milk. We as humans do not need milk once we are weaned off of our mothers. Breast milk is specifically designed for our babies and as they get older and grow out of the need for that, we do not need milk from our own mothers or any other mammal ever again. Some meat enthusiasts when making the argument that we are supposed to be eating a lot more animal foods and not very many plants is they compare us to cows, saying that cows have four stomachs and they are grass eaters, therefore we're not supposed to be eating very many plants or leafy greens. But of course we are not grass eaters. That's very clear. We don't have four stomachs and it's not a fair comparison. We are actually more consistent and in line to our design to that of a frugivore, to an ape or a bonobo monkey who eats largely consisting of fresh fruits and also leafy greens with very little meat. They eat meat more opportunistically and there's some usage and importance in using the word opportunistic omnivore where we as a species have the ability to eat and survive on both plant and animal matter. And being omnivores gives these animals the opportunity to have food security in times of stress or uncertainty. Um, there's some discussion to be had about the label for us as humans and whether we're omnivores or opportunistic omnivores or frugivores or herbivores or starchivores or starchivorous omnivores or what is it frugivorous omnivores. Whatever the term, we can still take a step back and realize what our biology is and look at things like our intestines and our teeth and just take a basic understanding of what we are supposed to be eating to help us feel our best long-term. The length of our intestinal tracts is similar to that of a frugivore. Carnivorous animals have intestinal tract lengths that are three to six times their body trunk. They have nice short intestinal tracts so that meat can fl flow freely through that. Whereas herbivores have intestinal tracts that are 10 to 12 times the body length of their trunk. And humans have the same exact ratio of intestinal tracts to that of herbivores. Also, if we talk about stomach acidity, what is the main enzyme in our saliva? It's called amylase, which is a carbohydrate digesting enzyme, which makes it more easily for your body to break down and absorb. And the entrance to your digestive tract should be a really clear signal of what we should be eating. There are hundreds of things which make us more likely to be drawn towards more plant foods than not. For example, fiber is essential for a good digestion. We should be eating lots of fiber. And if you're eating meat or animal foods at every meal, you're at risk of not getting enough fiber because we need such a great size of it, such a great amount. 
So clearly we can survive on meat, we can survive on animal foods, and our ancestors in the past did eat them to survive, but there's a big difference between what will help us thrive long-term versus merely surviving. Something else I find fascinating is how easy it is to forget the amount of energy that it goes into to create animal foods and processed foods as well. Without government subsidies, we would have a much easier time understanding how much these foods should cost and how much energy it goes into producing these foods. Specifically, animal foods in conjunction with processed foods, our government subsidizes animal foods as well as the crops that we use to feed the animals and the crops that go into the majority of processed foods, namely corn and soy. If the government didn't subsidize these things, animal foods and processed foods would cost significantly higher amounts and we would naturally not be eating near as much of it. There's a reason that a box of Lucky Charms and a cheeseburger from McDonald's cost less than just a head of broccoli. Think about how many ingredients and how much production goes into creating that cheeseburger or a box of cereal compared to just eating a head of broccoli and buying just a broccoli that was grown in a garden because our government does not put an emphasis towards subsidizing near as much of fresh fruits and vegetables, which is if we're going to subsidize anything, that's what we should be subsidizing. And as a result, it creates this disproportionate understanding of what amounts of foods we should be eating because it seems so easy. The animal foods are significantly cheaper than they would be. If our government instead had a goal of health instead of catering to powerful lobbyists, our tax dollars could go towards more nutrient and calorically dense plant foods instead. Now, the topic of food deserts and food insecurity is obviously very layered and this is not really going into it that much and I would love to eventually have an expert on the podcast to do a whole episode on this show for that. And lastly, when talking about nature and what foods are optimal for us, let's talk about how we naturally teach children children to be kind to animals. Our inclination is to tell them to be gentle to the cat, be nice to the dog, don't pull on the kitty's tail, hold the baby duck carefully, don't let them fall. And in fact, if an anal- if a child is showing tendencies to hurt animals, we consider that a red flag and something to be really looking into and as scary because children naturally love animals, which should tell us a lot. Even looking at something as simple as child movies, where the animals are the heroes, the animals are the ones that we love, and the people who are trying to hurt them, kill them, or lock them up in cages are the bad guys. We can look at movies like Dumbo, Nemo, Chicken Run, Bambi, Free Willy, the list goes on. Children naturally love animals. It isn't until we condition them to teach them that certain animals are worth protecting and other animals are not and we're supposed to be eating that they start to change their mind. Also, I think it's worth mentioning that some people say they don't feel negative feelings when they kill or hunt an animal. Then why is it that slaughterhouse workers have some of the highest rates of depression and PTSD regularly? Researchers have concluded that it's an ultra hazardous activity for psychological well-being. Understandably so, right? None of you really want to be working in a slaughterhouse, do you? So the basic understanding of all of this really helps to clear the mud and understand just the basics. All right, so let's get into the tips that help us thrive. This is my personal experience, and one of the things that I really have found helpful is to get back to nature. Purchasing organic, yes, but it's so much more than that. The nutritious aspect of your soil is super important and impactful on your health. It's so much more than just an organic label. So purchase from farmers markets when you can, grow your own food even if you can just a little bit. You can grow sprouts in your window or even have a few potted plants outside your door with some fresh herbs or greens. And purchasing locally is also very helpful as well. Um, 
If you're only getting your foods from big box grocery stores, your plant foods, your vegetables, that's not going to be as ideal. But I realize a lot of you or some of you may be living in cold climates for part of the year. Simply just do the best you can and take advantage in the summertime. In the summertime, really go for it. Grow some watermelon. Grow the fresh fruits that are access accessible to where you live and go to the farmer's markets weekly. Get as much local, locally grown food as you can in the area that you're in. And just like I said, do the best you can. Also, frozen fruits and veg are a great option for those of you who don't have access to many fresh local fruits because frozen fruits are picked when ripe and flash frozen as opposed to fresh fruits that are flown thousands of miles uh, apart and often are picked far before peak ripeness, then sometimes they're even put under ethylene gas in their cargo containers to ripen up and look like they're ready to eat which is completely and starkly different from a locally picked fresh ripe fruit or vegetable that is close to the soil and has these medicinal properties and opportunities when you have that access to pick fresh and ripe from the soil, right from the ground, locally in the garden or at a farmer's market compared to a fruit or a vegetable that's flown so far apart and is detached from that opportunity of those wonderful health benefits of getting it local. Whereas frozen vegetables and fruits are picked when they're ripe and frozen within six to eight hours of picking. So that's an option as well. So why is local better? Local foods tend to be picked more ripe and more fresh. You can get to know the farmer if you're getting it from the farmer's markets and learn about their practices, what fertilizers they use, and what nutrients they're adding back to the soil. Smaller local farms tend to put more care more often times into their soil and the way that they're growing their food. So you're more likely to be getting a more nutritious product, a more nutritious fruit and vegetable. You can also grow your own food, which is obviously gonna be local, and then you'll have full power over the health of the soil you can add vegetable composting and worm castings and all those things really add up through having a more nutritious meal with every bite when you're getting more locally grown foods that you can. The next tip is to eat predominantly whole foods. And it's actually very simple when you break it down. What is the difference between an isolated food and a whole food? Whole foods contain all three macronutrients of carbohydrates, protein, and fat. Some are going to have more of one macronutrient than the other, but they all contain all three of them nonetheless. And along with that, they also contain fiber, water, all of their um, antioxidants and mineral content as well. When you isolate a food, you take away almost everything except that one component. Take olive oil, for example, which is the fat from olives. You're basically taking away the water and the fiber and the other macronutrients of carbohydrates and protein. Processed sugar is isolated carbohydrates. Better instead to eat the whole fruit that has carbohydrates in it, yes, but also the water and the fiber and all the other minerals and the other macronutrients as well. By eating these isolated foods, you take away the way nature's intent designed for us to eat it. There's a reason there aren't oil bushes or processed sugar trees out there. We are supposed to be eating foods that have all of their macronutrients as well as the water and fiber content intact. And along with it, you get all those added vitamins, antioxidants, and minerals with it. So a good way to understand this is that one tablespoon of olive oil contains 100% of its calories from fat, which is about 100 calories. And your body signals and tells you when to stop eating by the amount of water and fiber content, as well as the rest of it in your stomach. So if you condense that food and make it very, very small, and all you're getting is those very um, calorically dense oils, along with processed sugars or whatever else you're eating with it, you're not going to be able to 
Understand as well when your body is ready to stop eating because it won't fill up as easily as when you're eating whole plant foods that have the water and fiber intact because the water and fiber signals to your stomach that it's getting full and it's time to stop eating. So that's one reason why so many people struggle with learning when to stop eating and not to eat too much because the way that processed foods are designed have a ton of oils and processed sugars with them along with everything else, making it uh, calorically dense and hard for your body to truly understand what's natural for us to stop eating. This doesn't mean never eat oil or processed sugar, and some people may do fine with a little bit of extra virgin olive oil, but it's important and helpful to understand the difference between isolated foods and whole foods when ensuring what should be your dominant calorie source. Most diets require some form of calorie restriction because if you're not eating a predominantly or exclusively plant-based diet, it becomes very easy to eat too many calories and to not know when to stop eating and to not feel satisfied. By eating whole plant foods, you're also getting more nutrients in because you're eating everything with all of their stuff intact, like the vitamins and minerals. Also, another thing that happens with uh, restrictive diets is that you teach your body often to be less hungry, which is not good long term, and that affects your metabolism, which is so hugely important for your health. The next tip is to eat enough calories and don't skip breakfast. This is one of the most important tips that I can give along how to thrive on a plant-based diet, especially if you're new to eating this way, because plant foods are lower in calories than animal-based and processed foods, so you get to eat more bites of food to become satisfied, and this can take some getting used to. Um, you should be eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. Unlike all the other ways of eating that we're taught our whole life, which is told to um, completely confuse our natural signals and intuition on when to eat, it is time to start eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. This is extremely satisfying for you and will be adding more nutrients into your body because the more bites of food you eat, the more nutrition you're getting into your body, especially from whole plant foods. And don't skip breakfast. Skipping breakfast is not going to help your metabolism long term. You need to be eating when you wake up and don't wait so long. No need to just wait hours and hours before you start your breakfast. Uh, the second tip or the next tip, that's not second, I'm on like the fourth one, is to eat a wide variety of whole plant foods. Gut health is super important and one of the most important factors of having a healthy gut is to eat a wide variety of whole plant foods. Don't be afraid to check out new vegetables and fruits at the grocery store and get experimenting in the kitchen. Eat real plant foods, whole, not processed. The next tip is to learn how to read ingredient labels. This is hugely important and once you learn what exact ingredients are in your food, you'll soon and quickly realize that a lot of foods that you once thought were healthy were actually not that healthy. If it has a really long ingredients list, it's probably not a health food. If it has ingredients on there that you have a hard time pronouncing or you don't recognize, it's probably not a health food. Now that doesn't mean that you should never be eating foods that are not perfectly healthy. Like I said before, I think this is a very important point, which is actually my last point in the whole podcast is to have balance and to learn about food freedom and not living stressfully because eating stressfully and living a stress-filled life where it's like centered and obsessed around your food is definitely damaging and not going to be adding to your health. So balance is super important. But when you learn how to read ingredient labels and figure out and decipher which foods that do have some ingredients that are like health promoting versus ones that are not going to be health enhancing, this is going to help you long term when you're making decisions and deciding what foods to bring into your home. The next tip is don't avoid fruit. Fruit is one of the most perfect human foods. Like I said earlier, it looks, tastes, and smells amazing in its natural state. The body runs on glucose and is the preferred source of fuel for our bodies. The brain runs on glucose. Um, 
So if you deprive your body of foods filled with fruits and tubers, you're going to have a harder time having great energy and also feeling as satisfied. Because if you're getting a sweet tooth and you're craving sweets at the end of the day, you're likely not eating enough fresh fruit or tubers. So definitely eat plenty of the fresh fruits and tubers as well. The next one is greens. Definitely get your greens in. Greens, I think, are one of the most important aspects of thriving long-term on a plant-based diet. I love my kale. I love collard greens. I love butter lettuce and light tender greens as well. All of those greens have wonderful amounts of folate and iron and antioxidants and the bone health superstar vitamin K. And also, I think it's really important to chew your food really well. If you're having trouble digesting lots of greens, because some people think that greens aren't really a human food, and some people think that greens don't digest well for us, when really the problem isn't really the greens most of the time. The problem is, are you chewing your food well and eating mindfully and not shoveling in your food? We live in a society now where everything is so fast paced and you just want to shovel your food in or watch something mindlessly while you're eating. And it can be really, really helpful to just chew your food well. Something so simple as chewing your greens, taking your time with it and being mindful with your food. And if you're new to eating fresh fruits and vegetables in abundance and you have a sensitive gut, you are the one who needs this information most. Definitely read Five Refueled by Dr. Will Bolsowitz. It's an amazing read. You have to fix the gut to reap the benefits of better health. And to fix the gut, you need fiber and diversity of plants. Many people find it helpful to slowly incorporate and adding more and more plant foods into their diet rather than doing it all at once to help their body and their digestive system adjust. Their digestive system will heal over time and you'll be stronger. Your gut will become stronger and it depends on what you feed it. So if all of a sudden one day you eat a massive salad that you're not used to eating and you know we don't eat greens, you might feel some sensitivity. But if over time you heal your gut through proper guidance with medical experts and with your practitioner and also from experts like Dr. Wobolsowitz, people like that who really have helped so many people, you will be in good hands and you can take the time to heal by slowly incorporating those foods. Starchy vegetables eat all the sweet potatoes. The Okinawans ate over 60% of their calories from sweet potatoes. It is a wonderful health enhancing and super satisfying plant food that's rich in calories. I highly recommend putting sweet potatoes or even squashes and regular golden potatoes on your plate every single day. I love my sweet potatoes. Also beans and whole grains, definitely get those in as a staple part of your diet. Beans and tofu are a great source of protein and whole grains are calorically dense and nutritious. High consumption of beans and whole grains and of course fruits and vegetables is associated with better overall health. And about 65% of the calories from the Blue Zone diets come from whole grains, beans, and tubers. Eating whole grains and increasing that consumption is associated with lowering your risk of disease in general, many kinds of diseases. But let's specifically talk about optimizing your bioavailability. You can get more nutrition out of your beans and legumes if you soak them overnight. They start to pre-digest the sugars and it has optimal protein as well that way. This also applies to grains and nuts as well. Pour them into your soups, but before you do that, rinse them, drain off the soaking liquid, rinse it a few times and add it to your soups and then all those minerals go into the wonderful uh, vegetable soups that you're eating as well. And if you're in uh, reproductive age, especially you want to be um, interested in looking to your iron absorption and increasing that as well. So vitamin C increases iron absorption. Add lemon juice to your greens or your broccoli to increase that iron absorption for you. Also cooking garlic and onions with your foods helps absorption of zinc better. So saute the garlic and onions with your greens is definitely going to help with that. 
Also iodine. Iodine is hugely important for thyroid health. So definitely get that iodine in. I love sea vegetables, especially doles is my favorite way to enjoy sea vegetables. It's my favorite sea vegetable out there. And I like to add it to my salads a few times a week. I also give it to the kids a few times a week in their salads. And lastly, just general mineral focus is very helpful. Get coconut waters if you can, if you have access to it. Also, aloe vera and all of the nutrient-dense greens that we talked about. Berries, greens, of course, beans, and starchy vegetables like sweet potatoes and squashes. Next, let's talk about healthy fats, which are great. I personally feel my best eating healthy fats in moderation. There really are only a few plant foods that are rich in fat, which is avocado, coconuts, and nuts and seeds. And if you're eating a wide variety of whole plant foods, including fruits and vegetables, whole grains and legumes, then healthy fats becomes a part of that, but it's not the dominant part of it because you're eating such a wide variety. It is very easy though to overdo it on the nut butters. And I think this is an important point because in nature, we really want be eating so many nuts they're actually very hard for us to open and if we were to be doing it naturally we'd be only eating a few or a handful of them not be getting these large quantities in bulk bins or huge scoopfuls of nut butters we totally as a family do enjoy nut butters and let me just make that clear but i do think it's important to not overdo it and just to be mindful of that so out of all these plant foods that we've talked about whole plant foods, legumes, beans, fresh fruits and vegetables, and healthy fats like avocados and seeds. I love the hemp seeds. Hemp seeds are a wonderful seed to add to your diet. We love adding them to our smoothies or sprinkling it on salads. All of these foods should be the predominant part of our diet that we're eating in abundance. But the last tip that I have is balance. Let me be clear. This doesn't mean that you should never be eating something that isn't like totally health enhancing. The importance is the majority of what you're eating. So for us as a family, that means everything or pretty much mostly everything we're bringing into our home is whole plant foods. For a while, we were getting lazy with like making our own hummus. We were feeling really busy with just having our fourth child, having a newborn and three older kids. And we were just buying that big time of hummus at the big box grocery store. And then once we got to a place where we were feeling a little bit more with our head on our shoulders, a little bit less crazy in life. We're like, all right, we're ready to start making our own hummus again. We don't need to be buying this hummus that has like processed oils in it and things that aren't necessarily health enhancing. And we feel really good about that balance of there's going to be certain times when it's not perfect. But for the most part, the majority of what we're eating is fresh fruits and vegetables, whole plant foods. And really your health lies in the majority of what you're eating. So it's not that five to 10% of foods that you're eating is where your health lies. What you decide to do with that five to 10% is really up to you. But I personally choose to eat totally plant-based vegan because I don't want to support the suffering of animals and I want to cause the least amount of suffering that I can. And also because the science is very clear that animal foods have a way higher footprint on the planet and eating plant-based significantly lowers your footprint on the planet. That is hugely important to me as well. So it's far more than just the one reason of eating for my health, which makes it an easy choice for me to eat totally vegan. All right, that is about everything I wanna cover today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and I'm very excited for part two, which I'm going to be covering more specifically on meal planning and how to center foods and what to center the food around on your plate. And also I'm going to be talking more about the blue zones and diving more into that and talking about their longevity and health and other ways that it helps them to be the longest living cultures other than just the foods that they eat. So I can't wait for that. And thank you so much for joining. I will see you next episode.